Everything in Torah is absolutely precise. The fact that we read Parashas Bamidbara before Shavuos, which means that it conveys specifically the concept of preparing for the giving of the Torah, is not by accident. So we've got to see what the link is between Bamidbar and the giving of the Torah, and specifically what exactly happened in the preparation to receive the Torah, because that's going to teach us three different dimensions of what it means to be engaged with Torah and what it means to be engaged with our Yiddishkeit. We always know that this is the parish of Bamidbar that we read before Shavuos. Considering that every parasha, as the Shalach Kodesh tells us, is linked to the specific time when it's read, and particularly holy days, Yomim Tovim, around that time, must be then that the connection between Bamidbar and Shavuos is must be about the theme of how you prepare for Shavuos, how you prepare to receive the Torah. And that would be the difference, by the way, between the parasha of Bamidbar and Nosoi. Nosoi sometimes before Shavuos and sometimes after Shavuos. Whereas Bamidbar is always before Shavuos, so therefore specifically linked to the concept of preparing for Matan Torah. Right? right, Nosa is usually after Shavuos. Only sometimes is it before, uh, before Shavuos. And therefore, it must link more to the concept of what happened on Shavuos as opposed to Bamid, uh, to Bamidbar, which is what happened prior to Shavuos, prior to the giving of the Torah. The year that the Sikha was said, this was reflected actually in the layout of the calendar. That year, Parashas Bamidbar coincided with the second of Sivan. On the second day of Sivan, that's when Moshe told the Yidden to sanctify themselves to be able to receive the Torah. And we're going to focus on the expression that the Alter Rebbe uses about this. The Alter Rebbe tells us in Yishuch Noruch that this is the time where Moshe started to prepare them to receive the Torah. So there we got it, right? It's the date of the preparation and the Shabbos parasha of the preparation. Now we know that Shavuos is not history. Every year on Shavuos, Hashem reenacts the experience of giving us the Torah afresh. And each year, the experience of receiving the Torah is at a higher level than what it was in the previous year. In the previous year. So therefore, whatever preparations were required first time around to receive the Torah, every year, including this year, we have to do similar preparations. Okay, so we're coming up for Shavuos. We have to prepare along the lines of how they prepared for the original Matan Torah. And this plays out in practical halacha. That's why we don't fast and we don't say Tachnon because obviously Rosh Chodesh is a day that you don't fast or say Tachnon. And the second of Sivan is already the preparation for Shavuos and we're preparing for Matan Torah now as they did then. So already we don't say Tachnon and we don't fast. So what's the connection between Bamidbar and preparing for Matan Torah? What is the connection? The link between Bamidbar and preparing for the Torah, and specifically the first step to prepare, which happened on the 2nd of Sivan, in 
in order to, do, to understand what that is, let's go back to the halacha that we started to quote from the Alter Rebbe. But he has the full quotation of how the Alter Rebbe says it in his Shulchan Aruch. This is what he says. Our custom in our countries is we don't fast, we don't say tachnun, from Rosh Chodesh until the 8th of Sivan, inclusive. Why? Because straight after Rosh Chodesh, Moshe began to engage the Jews in the preparations to receive the Torah. Here's the part we're going to focus on. Rosh Chodesh itself was Monday. On the Tuesday, which is the second of Sivan, the day that we're interested in, Moshe said to the people, that you, Hashem says, will be for me a kingdom of Koyhanim. We're going to focus on this part. On the Wednesday, he told them that they weren't allowed to approach the mountain. That they have to cordon off the mountain. And then on the Thursday, he told them that over the next two days, the men would have to separate from their wives. And then they'd be ready for the third day of preparation. Which is, of course, the day when Torah was given was on a Shabbos. A couple of questions over here. Number one, why is it that out of all the people who discuss halacha, the Alter Rebbe is the one who brings What does he use to prove to us that on the second day of Sivan, that's when Moshe began to prepare the, the, the people for receiving the Torah? Why he dafka brings that pasuk where Hashem says, you'll be a kingdom of Koyhanim for me. Surely on the Tuesday, Bay Sivan, the second day of Sivan, surely there were many things that Hashem conveyed to Moshe to tell the Jewish people that were relevant to preparing for Matan Torah. Starting with a pasuk that precedes the one the Alter Rebbe quotes, which is, you, you should go tell the Jews that you saw with your own eyes that I took you out of Mitzrayim on the wings of eagles. Now you might say, well, that was a, that's talking about past tense. Look at what happened in the past. And it's difficult to say that a past tense sentence is speaking about how you prepare for the future. So maybe the Alter Rebbe preferred a pasuk that speaks to the future. To you, you will be a kingdom of Koyhanim. Rather than a past tense pasuk, what you saw in the past. Still, still, there's a forward, uh, a future tense pasuk that could have been used, which is that Hashem says, "You will be a treasure for me from all those who are on the earth." Future tense. So why did the Alter Rebbe specifically choose as the proof that they're getting ready for Matan Torah? Question one. Question two. Yes, Ral Kain. Furthermore, there are two possible explanations of what it means that we are going to be this kingdom of Koyhanim. Aleph Pirush Ramban. The Ramban explains that two Mamleches Meshor Sai. So what does it mean? It means that we will be a kingdom of servants to Hashem, holy individuals who are connected to Hashem. 
And that's al derech different. Amechilta, similar to an expression that's used in the Medrash. Amechilta, ruin no how you call yourself lecha bekachim. That every Jew really originally deserved to be able to eat from all the korbanos, as only a koyan could do in the end. And even beyond that, the Balaturim says that all of us were really uh, suited to be Koyhanim Gedolim. So the Ramban, the Balaturim, the Mechilta, they all see this as being a Koyan, literally, that all Jews were supposed to be Koyhanim. Then, based the other explanation, Pirish Rashi, who says, Sorim, that over here the word Koyhanim does not mean Koyhanim, it means Sorim, ministers, officers. But now, if you go with the first expression, the Ramban and company, where Koyhanim means Koyhanim, people who are spiritually dedicated to serve Hashem. We get the connection. You're all going to be Koyhanim. You're all going to be servants of Hashem. That is a preparation to receive the Torah, obviously, because it's indicating that the Jews will all serve Hashem with absolute sacrifice and dedication. And that way, they'll be the servants of Hashem. Makes perfect sense. But if you go with Rashi's opinion, and there are others who say a similar thing, the Kohanim over here doesn't mean Kohanim, it actually means ministers or officers. How does that have anything to do with receiving the Torah and following the Torah? What's it got to do with like some kind of a political or, or administerial position? And lastly, question on the Al-Terebbe. When the Pasuk describes what we're going to be, it says a kingdom of Koyhanim and a holy nation. How come it is that the al Rebbe left out the Goy Kadosh part? And yet, on the other hand, but he still alluded to it by putting the Vagoymer. So why doesn't Goy Kadosh belong in the quotation? Okay, we need to understand what's going on over here. To explain all of this, we need an introductory concept, which is, there's another question over here. Why didn't Rashi just translate Koyhanim as Koyhanim? Especially when we know that Rashi's already told us that's what Koyhanim mean in all cases. Rashi already wrote all the way back in Parashas Vayigash. Anytime the word Koyen is used in the Torah, it's somebody who is serving a deity. In that case, it's the, we're talking about the Koyhanim of Mitzrayim. So it was a, an inappropriate deity. And the truth is, even here, when, the Ram, uh, when Rashi does say that Kohanim are officers, that is surprising, even in the way he presents it, it's, that it's surprising. How do we know that Rashi himself acknowledges that this is an unusual translation? Because he brings a proof to justify that Kohanim could be ministers. Shemi Kemadat Omar of David Kohanim Hoyu, from a Pasuk that says that David's children were Kohanim, they weren't Kohanim, it means that they held positions of office. So why did Rashi look for an alternative explanation? It seems so strange. Rashi is the Pshat person. Why doesn't he just say, a Kohen is a Kohen? So the answer to that will shed light on our entire conversation. Shemi Neforesh Teva Zekipshuto. Let's say we translate Koyhanim as Koyhanim. So then, 
So if, if we're a kingdom of Koyhanim, what do we add to that by saying, and a holy nation? Isn't the whole point of a Koyan that they're a holy, distinct person within the community who's serving Hashem? Like the Pasuk says, that Hashem separated Aaron and his family to make them holy. Now the Pasuk would never say the same message twice. So therefore Rashi understands the fact that the Pasuk then adds the phrase, a holy nation. Move on from that, it is already understood. That here in this Pasuk, the expression, a kingdom of Koyhanim, is not the message of separation for the purpose of holiness. Therefore, Rashi says here, cannot fit into the normal translation of Koyanim because Goy Kadosh conveys that message. Therefore, Rashi says it can't mean the regular kind of koyen who is dedicated to spiritual service, so it must mean the other possible translation, which is given a position of authority. Now that we've seen that, it changes our entire understanding of the entire presentation in this psukim. It turns out the Pasuk is giving us three tiers of how great we'll be now that Hashem has chosen us. And each tier is higher than the preceding tier. So this is how it goes. First, Hashem, level one is, you will be a treasure from amongst the nations. Which means, it means we are a unique and cherished, valuable treasure in Hashem's eyes, which distinguishes us from the rest of the world. Level one. Then the Torah takes it to the next level. Not only are we distinct from all the other nations on earth, but we have positions of authority. Which means we control our environment like sorry ministers that control and run a country so level one is we're a unique category of people level two is not only are we unique we have power to control the world that we live in and then beyond that not only do we control the world that we live in but we are a holy nation which means we know that the word Kaddish doesn't just mean holy in the generic sense it means set apart that's a message that fundamentally Jewish people are completely removed from the reality of the mundane. We are completely removed from everything that we live amongst or our entire environment and everything that the world has to offer. Our holy nation, similar to the Koyan, the Koyan is distinct from the, the rest of the nation, doesn't engage in things that the rest of the nation would because of Tuma, etc. So those are the three levels. We're a special nation, a nation with control over the world, a nation that stands potentially totally beyond anything of this world. Now all of that speaks to us as individuals because whatever we were told that would apply to us as a nation equally applies to us as individuals. So these three things spell out, play out in human experience and, and from a perspective of Hasidus. The first thing is special nation. 
The first thing we need to know about our greatness is that Hashem selected us. He chose us. At the time of the giving of the Torah, what happened was Hashem chose the Jewish people and said, You're mine. As we well know, it's explained in many places in Hasidus. Choice is something that is completely in the control of the chooser. When Hashem chooses the Jewish people, it's at a level where dark light, it's all the same. Meaning to say there's no external influence, even at the highest spiritual level, that could in any way have procured this choice from Hashem. So therefore, that tells us that um, that's not Real choice has nothing to do with any of the accolades, any of the values of the item, or in this case, the people being chosen. It's not because we're just special, so Hashem chose us. Then it's not a choice. Then it's the fact that we're special that made us valuable. Choice means Hashem chooses us. And therefore, Bechira... Um, so what's the difference between us and the rest of the world? It's not because we're different, because we're committed, because we're spiritual, because we're dedicated, because we have faith. Therefore Hashem chose us. To borrow an expression from Rashi. Don't say that you're the only ones I could have taken from me and there's no one else. It's because Hashem chose us. Therefore, the other nations become negligible and we become cherished. So that's nothing of our doing. It's a gift from Hashem. He chose us. Without any influence, without any input from us. Then, being placed into this privileged position, we now have to do things. We have to serve Hashem. And that is the way that we serve Hashem is divided into two general categories. One element of how we serve Hashem is we engage with the mundane elements of this world and use them for a purpose that is Hashem's purpose. Or we even get beyond that. And everything that we're doing is completely... Um, immersed in a consciousness of serving Hashem. One kind of avoider, the avoider with the world. And then another means of serving Hashem is by learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, which is divorced from the reality of the world. So now we can understand the difference between, between being the Mamlechas Koyanim, the kingdom of Koyanim, which are those people who serve Hashem, the normal translation of Koyanim, which here we're actually saying is the translation of being a holy nation, compared to the other greatness that we have, which is a kingdom of Koyanim, meaning people who are in positions of authority. When we're engaged in serving Hashem purely through the channel of holiness, which is when we're learning, or we're actually performing a mitzvah. Then we're like a koyin. We're standing in Hashem's place, serving Hashem. When we're engaged in Torah and mitzvahs, we're completely freed of the reality of our world. 
which is similar to a koyin who is removed from the world, doesn't own property, doesn't get involved in business, etc. His complete inheritance, complete um, group of assets is godliness. So his entire reality is to stand before Hashem and serve. From that perspective, we would be called the holy nation. Like the Ramban said, those who serve me, those who are holy, those who cleave to me, how do we connect to Hashem? How are we a Goy Kodesh? Torah Mitzvahs. But from the other perspective, when we engage with the mundane elements of this world and use them as vehicles to serve Hashem, level one, where everything that we do has an outcome or, or, or a point which is holy, or the higher level than that, where it's completely imbued with a sense of consciousness of God. Seeing as there's a possessive term over there, your ways, right? Your deeds, all your deeds should be directed to heaven. All your ways, you should know him. That's where we are using our world to serve Hashem. From that perspective, they were called Koyhanim as in ministers which indicates that we have the power and the control over our environment to direct it in a healthy direction. And therefore, we control how we engage with the world and it does not control us. That concept of being the Koyen, the Sar, there's no divorcing from the world. On the contrary, we're engaged with the world and taking control of the world. We're using, we're investing, we're reaping the value of the things of this world to serve Hashem. And, and when we get it right and when we succeed in doing it, those very mundane elements themselves will actually be conscious of and be aware of, the, of godliness. Which means if we're going to refine and elevate them until we completely transform them from being just ordinary elements to becoming vehicles for godliness. That's an overview of the Jewish experience. Hashem chooses us. We had nothing to do with that. And we serve Hashem in two possible ways. The Kohen way, Torah Mitzvahs, or the Sar way, engaging and elevating the world. But we can actually make it even more specific. Within Torah and mitzvahs themselves, there are also two categories which reflect the two general categories of engaging the world or being completely removed from the world. So out of one way that you could learn or do mitzvahs is mitzvahs. Why am I learning Torah? Why am I doing a mitzvah? So that I can have a meaningful connection to Hashem. Because as the Alter Rebbe tells us in Tanya, there is no way to cleave to Hashem other than through the positive mitzvahs, which are compared to the limbs of the body, just like you embrace the king and you embrace his limbs. So you embrace Hashem, so to speak, by doing mitzvahs. In other words, that's one method of how a person observes Torah and does mitzvahs. To serve Hashem, to be a koyen. As we've called it in the parasha, to be a holy nation. One approach. 
Then based there's another approach. Another motivation to learn Torah and do mitzvahs is to transform myself, transform my world, transform the physical. To make this world Hashem's home. So now that we have all these pieces and we understand that there's three key components to the process of what Judaism is all about, being chosen by Hashem, translating that then into efforts in Torah mitzvahs like a koyen, and to transform the world like a sar. Now we can go back and understand Rashi even better. The so-called rich wine element of Rashi. Why Rashi translated over here the kingdom of Koyanim to mean ministers or officers, and not like he normally would have translated it as servants of Hashem. So here's where we get to a more familiar part of the conversation about the run-up to the preparation for Matan Torah, and we'll now see it in, with a, a, an added dimension. As we well know, the Gemara Shabbos tells us when it describes all the things about the giving of the Torah. At the time Moshe went on high, the angels protested. Why is there a human here? He came to receive the Torah. So they were up in arms. Here you've got this precious treasure that you have kept safe for all of these generations. You want to give it to humans? As, as we see in Tilim. Who are people? What is man that he should even be mentioned? Rather place your glory, i.e. the Torah, on the heavens. In other words, keep the Torah here where it will be safe with us the so the Ebisha turns to Moshe and says, You have to answer them. So, Amalefon, what does he say very famously? The Torah you about to give me. What's written in that Torah? I took you out of Egypt. So Moshe turns to the angels and he says, You ever been down to Egypt? Were you ever slaves to Paroi? How is the Torah relevant to you? Why should it be yours? Shuv Maxivbo. What else is the Torah? You should have no other gods. Do you live amongst other pagan nations that you even have to be warned about this? Etc. Etc. Using similar logic, Moshe refuted the angels with all kinds of uh, explanations relating to each of the Ten Commandments. You don't work, so you don't eat Shabbos. You don't do business, you don't have to worry about lying or about uh, being jealous. Do you have the sense of envy? Do you have a Yetzirah? And at that point, the angels threw up their hands and said, Okay, you're right. David was right. The Torah's got to go to people. Okay, let's understand what this is actually telling us. Move on, one thing that's clear from this is that the goal of giving us Torah mitzvah is not just that the Jews should remove themselves from society, not work, etc., in order to serve Hashem. Because in Yenzei, angels do that. And the Malachim do it far better than we could ever do here on earth. What was the message? Why is there Torah? Why is the Torah given to us? 
Because we could be in the physical world. And at the time that we engage non-Jewish people and non-holy items of the world, and even when we're enticed by the Yetzirah, the chap of Torah is that even under those very challenging circumstances, we could still be in control of our environment. That every one of us should be able to control our own Yetzirah and our own traits and, 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 and characteristics. And we can control the world around us. That we can control the facets of our world. To the point that they all become completely infused with holiness. Which, as we mentioned before, the two channels of doing everything for the sake of heaven and doing everything with consciousness of heaven. That is the big achievement and innovation of the presentation of Torah on Sinai to humans. And that's the huge advantage that we have when we study Torah and do mitzvahs now post-Sinai compared to how the greatest of the greats who kept the entire Torah before it was given etc. Our Torah is, is superior to this. Why? Because when the Avois kept Torah mitzvahs, there was no intention to refine the world, to elevate the world, to transform mundane things into holy things. They studied Torah and did mitzvahs in order to have a personal connection to Hashem. Like we well know that our forefathers are compared, so to speak, to a chariot. Which means what? To come over Bitanya, the Altreb explains in Tanya what it means is Shakol Evraim Kulama Yukidoishim Mumovdoli Minyona Oilamaze. It means that every element of their physical being was completely divorced from the reality of this world. And they were only a vehicle for divine will throughout their lives. But no impact on the world. And that's why they were shepherds. And that's how they based the entire structure of their lives. Because a shepherd is away from society in a quiet pasture where he could meditate on godliness and connect to Hashem in a personal way. After the giving of the Torah, the whole cup of the giving of the Torah is that now we can make a difference to the world and we can elevate the world and we can be in control of the outcome of the world in which we live. Therefore, what does Rashi say is the first thing that we are told about who we are, which indicates what we should do in terms of serving Hashem now that we're getting the Torah. The first thing we have to know is we're sorim. We're in positions of authority. We control and change the world. And in addition, almost like secondary to that, is that we could also remove ourselves from the world to become like Kohanim and be completely immersed in Torah. But our primary impact is going to be what we do to the world through the Torah to elevate the world to holiness. And with that, that clarifies how the Alter Rebbe places it, into, how he presents it in his Shulchan Aruch. Our question was, why is it that the, that, that uh, the Alter Rebbe brings specifically 
as proof to the fact that uh, Moshe prepared the Jewish people on the second of seven in order to be able to get the Torah from what pasuk? From the pasuk Vatem Tiyuli Mamlechas Koyhanim. Why from that particular pasuk? Over Shlishi Veshavas Lomelem Vatem Tiyuli Mamlechas Koyhanim. Ves Hemshchah Pasuk Vegoy Kadosh. And the second part of the pasuk that will be Goy Kadosh, this holy nation. That part. That part he doesn't quote, he just alludes to it with an etc. Why Lahat Gish Kanal? Because the Altar wants to emphasize the exact same point we've now illustrated from Rashi's Pirush. Shavatim Tiyum Amrechis Koyanim, that the idea that we would be Koyanim, Husug Vedarga Shalavoida Bifnei Atzmoy. That is a self contained element of serving Hashem. It's a whole chapter of Judaism. In addition to which, there's also Goy Kaddish, which is another chapter, another level of how you serve Hashem, which comes as a continuation from, and sort of completes the Avoida, which is our primary Avoida, the primary objective of giving the Torah was the impact that we would have on the world through the Torah. So therefore the first point of order for Moshe on his agenda, the first thing that Moshe starts with, to engage the people to prepare them to receive the Torah, was what? Is to to define for them who you are. You're a Mamlechus Koyanim. And a Mamlechus Koyanim means Sorim, people who control the reality of the world. The first part of preparation for Matan Torah illustrates what the core of the value of Matan Torah is, which is that you will be those people who change the world. And the idea of reaching the Goy Kaddish completely separate from the world so that you can engage in Torah mitzvahs at such a lofty level, that is an etc. That is That's what. That's step two. And it helps to bring to fruition and, and kind of round off and complete the avoider, but it's not the thrust of the avoider. And that will help us to link the second of Sivan and the concept of preparing for Matan Torah specifically to Parashas Bamidbar. How so? The theme of this parish is that the Jews are counted. There's a census. Not only that, the entire book of Bamidbar is called the book of counting, or as they call it in English, numbers. That's generally speaking. Specifically, we're going to see the three different kinds of counting. Three different types of census. Aleph number one is The parasha starts by counting 11 or 12 shvatim, excluding the Levim. The Pasuk tells us, Don't count the tribe of Levi. And don't take census of them amongst the Jews. So census number one is not Shevet Levi. The second census is Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi is counted independently. And unlike the, the rest of the community that's counted from the age of 20, they're counted from one month old. 
And then Gimel Ubasima Parsha, right at the end of the Parsha, you have Noses Roish Bene Kahas Metoich Bene Levi Goimer, a u- unique census for the family of Kahas within the tribe of Levi. And they're counted me Ben Shloshim Shon of Amaila Goimer from 30 years and older when they're re- uh, ready for service. As Rashi tells us, they're the ones who were ready that they could carry the elements and the implements of the Mishkan around with them. That's when you started to count them. So now Yeshlema will parallel the two concepts. There's three types of level of our avoid and connection to Hashem, and there's three types of counting the Jewish people, and they link. The three types of census relate to the three elements of preparation for Matan Level one was that we're chosen as the chosen people. Level two was that we were empowered to control and shift and change and elevate the world. And lastly, the fact that we have the capacity to do Torah mitzvahs in a way that is completely removed from the realities of the world. So to understand this concept, we're first going to understand what happens when you count something. The Shaloha Kodesh teaches us an incredible insight about what happens to something when you count it. So the Shaloha points out that once the Jews were counted, they took on the halachic status of something that is, that is um, peddled or, or sold by number. Right? Certain things are sold by weight, certain things are sold by size, certain things are sold by number. A dozen eggs, the Havdim. What's important is with Dabash Minyan Loi Bottle. In the laws of Kashros, something that is in number cannot be neutralized by an overwhelming amount. Right? So, for example, you've got a big pot of stew and you drop in some milk. Shishim, as long as there's 60 times more stew than there is to the milk, we don't worry about the milk. But if something is, is assigned a number, it can't be neutralized by a large amount of another item. Vehine, that means. This concept, that's something which has a number defined for it, it's been counted, and now it can't be overwhelmed and neutralized. It's not identical to other things which also halachically can never be neutralized by an overwhelming amount. Could go in barrier. For example, a full creature. It could be a tiny little creature, but as long as it's a full creature, you could pour it, you could drop it into the biggest part of soup, it doesn't disappear. But Kayotza was in other examples as well in Aloka. Why not? You look at a creature, you can tell, oh, okay, it's a, it's a whole creature. So obviously it has some value, some, some greatness to it. And I can see clearly it's this and not that. So how could it just disappear? You can't expect something to disappear if I can see what it is. But if I've got something which is, which is qualified by number, which is a, a, a assessed by number, I don't see anything about it. I don't see anything change. Not, the, the egg doesn't look different. It's the fact that it's a dozen eggs that gives it its, its, its value. There's nothing that I could see distinctly. It says, ah, there is the greatness of this thing, which obviously now can't just disappear. The value of the item that has been counted is not immediately obvious. That has a spiritual implication. Just like when you count a whole lot of items, you don't see the items change externally. Counting the Jews reminds us that externally we don't look different to anybody else. 
So why then do we not just disappear and assimilate into the rest of the world? Because the Ebishas attributed a value to us. We didn't create the value. There's nothing about us that looks valuable. Hashem attributed a value to us by counting us. That shows us that Hashem feels we're, we're important, we're valuable, we're cherished. So therefore, counting the Jewish people will align with choosing the Jewish people. Same principle. Chose us not because of anything we did or anything that could be uh, seen outwardly. He counts us not because of anything we did, but because he chose to count us. Even though Hashem says, everything is mine. And there are other nations too that have value. The Jewish people are distinct because Hashem chose to make us distinct. And we don't just disappear and assimilate and blur into the background. And the way Hashem illustrates this to us is by constantly counting us. Because by counting us, that shows that we're obviously valuable. Rashi tells us at the beginning of Bamidbar, because we're precious to Hashem, he's constantly counting us like a person who counts money or gems or whatever it is. And the, Rashi said a similar thing in Pasha Shmois to show us, to show us that we're precious. So level one is the first counting. The first counting is just a general census of the Jewish people to show that we're valuable because Hashem made us valuable like he chose us. But then the Pasuk says, hang on a second, there's more. Don't count the Levim together with everybody else. Because when you count the Jewish people, that's to show the message that they won't just disappear into the broader public. But when it comes to counting the Levim, the implication is appoint them to a position. Give them authority. Count them in a different category. They have a unique classification. What's the unique classification? Well, we see it in the way that they were counted because why were the Levium counted from the age of one month unlike everybody else? So the explanation that's given is because right from that young age the Levi is already considered somebody who guards the value of holiness which is sorry, guarding You've got responsibility. You have authority. Like that term, like it's Mamleches Koyanim, which means Sorim. Which is now a step up from just simply the fact that you won't disappear amongst the nations of the world because you've been chosen. No, not only are you chosen, you're empowered. And then the Torah gets into specifics of the different families of Levi. Who are me ben shloishim shona v'mayla counted from 30 years and older. Anybody who can now actually serve in the so-called army of the Mishkan. And specifically in our parish of Amufir, the counting of the family of Kahas, which is They're the people who were engaged with the most sanctified and in intimate parts of the Mishkan. The Kedosh HaKadoshim, etc. 
Now we're no longer counting them in the group of what Levim have to do to serve Hashem. So therefore, they're not being counted as part of the general service in the uh, Mishkan. They're being counted specifically in the Oyel Moed, what's going to happen in this inner sanctum. And particularly the family of Kahas, because they carry the holiest of all the items, they're responsible for them. So therefore you have to conclude that the counting of the children of Kahas is along the lines of being this holy nation, totally invested in the spiritual world to the exclusion of what's going on in the rest of the world. And there's another layer in our parish. So what do you got? You got Goy Kadesh in a general sense of Torah mitzvahs, and then you got Kahas, which is the Goy Kadesh in the highest sense of the, the holiest parts of the Mishka. And that would also explain why, more specifically, in the family of Kahas, not only do you have Levim, but you have Koyhanim as well. Based on everything that we've explained, that now we've detected that the key principle of giving the Torah was so that we should be this nation that has power to transform our world. In a similar way, you'll see out of the three different types of senses that occurred in Pashas Bamidbar, the one counting the Levim is actually the central one. Counting the Jews has happened before Bamidbar. It's happened previously. Rashi says, In this parish, he tells us, When we left Egypt, we were counted. He concludes because Hashem loves us. He consistently counts us. So that's happened already before. This is actually the third time that the Jews are being counted. So that's not the Chiddush of Pashas Bamidbar. On the other hand, the counting of the family of Kahas in a Shaykh Pashas Bamidbar Levado is not exclusive to this parasha. Because even though Kahas were separated from the other families for their unique avoider that they would do, they might have been distinguished, but they're counted in the same way as, as Gershon and Merari are counted. And the concept of carrying elements of the Mishkan from place to place wasn't unique to Kahas. Gershon did it as well. In fact, the end of our parasha, which talks about their job and how they were counted, is actually the segue into next week's parasha. So it's not exclusive to Bamidbar. That can't be the, the, the theme of Bamidbar. What stands out in Bamidbar that only appears here, not in any preceding parasha, and not as a link to the next parasha is the general counting of the tribe of Levi and the introduction of the B'nai Levi into their, their induction and introduction into their work 
the fact that the Levim would be appointed to replace the first ones who were supposed to have served Hashem. In other words, to replace literally every firstborn. What's a Bechor? person has a position of authority. He's in charge of the other sons. And therefore gets a double portion of inheritance. And corresponding to these privileges that the firstborn has, there are certain responsibilities to serve Hashem and the Levim take over those responsibilities. Why does Bamidbar focus uniquely on the counting of Levi, Shevet Levi? The reason is because what are the what is the the purpose of giving the Torah? I'm sorry that we should be a kingdom of Kohanim who have authority over the world. To control and direct and elevate and refine the world. To turn our world into a place that accommodates godliness. That's Parshas Bamidbar. The exact theme of what the Torah is all about. Every year when we recall this information, and every one of us relative to our particular avoider, each one of us engages in our particular avoider of taking control of the world, so to speak, elevating the world. That brings us to the point that we could literally become this kingdom of Kohanim. Literally, in the base Amikdash, as Koyhanim in the base Amikdash. That means we reach the point that we taka become the authority that dictates the reality of the world. And not only that, but we can even be the authorities to those who are the Sarim on high, as the Magda Mezrich explains. And then we get to the fulfillment of the prophecy of Yeshayo and Nobi, that the leadership of the rest of the world comes to do our chores for us. Even while we're still in Golos, we could already have that bracha. We prepare ourselves to receive the Torah in a joyous way and in a personally meaningful way. Which prepares us to be able to learn the, the Torah that Mashiach will teach. Very soon, when we'll see the fulfillment of the Pasuk that says, That Hashem will be the king over all of existence and the real kingdom will belong to Hashem, which shall all happen. Take care.